Hi, this is Jordan Shively. Hi, I'm Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Caring Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try to find the silver lining, or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. How you been, bud? Um, doing good, you know, recovering from some life things, but got a story today, so that's fun. What do you have for us? Um, today's story really didn't have its own title, so it's ba- it goes by the the um, generic title of Devil Drums when people talk about it. So it's a it's a legend. Um, it's combines the elements of classic haunting story with a deeper tale of unknown powers that live within the mundane. Ooh, yeah! You always hear people say that music is in their blood, that you gotta let the music take control. <laughs> and when the music starts, they lose themselves to it. Well, perhaps we should pay attention to that. Not all sayings are words to live by. Sometimes they're warnings. <laughs> the story of the devil drums starts in 1661, the year before the nine-year English Civil War between the Royalists and the Parliamentarians had ended. And with so many soldiers being sent back home to jobs and livelihoods that no longer existed, licenses to be able to beg legally were handed out to those who had served in the military. Soon after this, in a small town of Ledgers Hall, about 80 miles from London, a former officer and current tax official, John <laughs> Mompesson, Mompesson. That's an incredible name. Yeah. If we're a tax official, no less. <laughs> John Mompesson <laughs> was visiting a friend when he heard the sound of a drum beating outside the house, somewhere within the village. As a tax official and former veteran, John was well aware of the laws for beggars and many of the ways they were being taken advantage of, so he decided to snoop and asked his friend, who was the local bailiff, about the drumming. He was told that a beggar by the name of William Drury had arrived in town and was shown his permit, had shown his permit asking everyone for money and beating his drum regularly to get attention. John, being the shitty agent of the establishment, decided to go and investigate to make sure that a homeless man wasn't getting aid that he didn't deserve in the eyes of the law. Oh my god. And of course, you probably expect it, because otherwise the story would have just have ended here. When John inspected William Drury's papers, he found them to be forgeries, and he had him arrested and his drum taken away. William immediately confessed to the forgeries. He's like, yeah, I'm just trying to survive here, man. But he begged for his drums not to be taken away from him. His cries, however, fell on deaf ears. And when he was hauled off to jail, it was without his precious drum, which was moved to the bailiff's house. This all occurred in March of 1661. Soon after, John went to London on business for a month, most likely began to forget about the time, probably seemed trivial everyday event where he took a homeless man and threw him in jail for beating a drum, especially in his line of work as a tax official. I'm guessing crushing the lives of the less fortunate was par for the course for John. However, when he returned home from London, there was a mysterious package waiting for him. His wife explained that it had arrived while he was gone, and she had waited for him to return before opening it. When John opened it, I can only imagine his surprise and consternation when instead inside of the package, sitting silently, was a drum. (laughs) <laughs> and not just any drum, but the beggar from L- Luger's Hall's drum. 
She also told him that the night after his friend the bailiff had dropped off the package, a group of at least a dozen thieves or so, she supposed them to be thieves because, I mean, they're outside of her house of propriety, so what else could they be? She was not sure for all they had done was run around pounding in all the doors and windows for a short while before vanishing. They returned and did the same thing for the next three nights. Personally, though, I mean, if my husband had just come home from a trip, I think I would have led with the story <laughs> of the people running around banging on all the windows for three nights in a row instead of, oh, you got a package while you were away. And I think I would have reversed the order of the news I gave my husband. <laughs> three nights, though, after which John had returned, the phantom thieves and their knocking also returned. John grabbed two pistols and went downstairs to confront whomever was pounding on the front door. But when he opened the door, the knocking stopped. Soon after he closed it again, the knocking started at a different door. Now, getting angry instead of cautious, John ran to this door, threw it open, and of course, again, found nothing but the still, quiet night. Then a third time, the knocking started, but this time, it was up on the second-story door that led out to their rooftop. (laughs) I mean, as this is going in a series here, when John threw this door open, pistols at ready... Once again, there was no one there physically. But this time, all was not silent. This time, out in the night, John claims to have heard a sound that was like the wind, but not the wind. He described it as an awful, hollow, a hungry emptiness. Oh, that's actually really good. That's a much better description than what he started with. Like a, like a windless wind, uh, but like a, you know, a craving hunger on the visceral return side of like, oh, okay, you, you, you got there. <laughs> John closed the doors and locked them. I mean, the first smart thing they've done (laughs) and began to pray, followed up by a stupid thing for the sound to stop. And at first it seemed like this was going to work. The sound went away. He tried to go back to sleep, but then the noise returned this time surrounding the house as if the very air was beating like a drum. This continued for a month And as it did, the noises began to advance, to encroach into the interior of the house. They now began to center themselves around the room where John kept the confiscated drum of William Drury. And this is like a part where we have yet another in a long series of these stories we've told where the moment for burning something and moving on with your life is just passed (laughs) up. Um, John began to fear that Drury had died in jail. And this was somehow his spirit punishing John for the part he had played. And as the sounds and ghostly manifestations began to increase, it would seem to support this fear. The hungry hollow sound had also moved inside the house, and objects began to move around on their own, including John's mother's Bible, which was found burned to ash in the fireplace. And then the attack started. The children would hear scratching noises under their beds. Then invisible hands would hoist them up into the air. Other classic poltergeist things began to occur, like boards flying through the air and invisible forces pulling things around the house. All of this, of course, began to draw the attention of the neighbors and those living in the surrounding area, who then began to travel to John's house to hear the drums and see the haunting for themselves. You know, a good, nice afternoon outing. Let's go watch this family be tormented by specters. It was through this newfound attention that a new wrinkle in the story came to light, however. For William Drury was, in fact, alive, according to reports that people began to bring in. The man had escaped prison and brought and bought himself a new drum and had taken to wandering as a beggar again. 
There were rumors that Drury had bragged about bewitching John's household, and also that amongst his veteran friends, he had quite the reputation as a sorcerer. Whether or not this rumor had any merit, it was enough for John, who by this point was desperate for anything he could do to escape the nightmare that he had brought upon himself by his own bullshit. Drury was apprehended and brought to trial on witchcraft and sorcery charges, which in this time period was a very serious charge. However, the judge Isaac Burgess, who listened to the case, seems to have been a rational man, at least in part because he dismissed the charges of sorcery. However, <laughs> he did convict Drury of stealing a pig, and the man was put on a ship and sent to the penal colonies. What? And just that swiftly, all the haunting and all the drumming, everything stopped. At least for nine weeks. Oh my god, how? <laughs> then it all started again. All of it. This time, there were other reputable witnesses, as well as an attorney named Anthony Ettrick and his friend Sir Ralph Banks. They spent the night, the night there and reported all the knock, knocking sounds and even claimed the spirits would respond with a requested amount of knocks. Like a hollow back thing, I guess. <laughs> this was highly suspicious and the precedent that we have discussed when John began to use his conditions to inquire Drury probably wouldn't be surprised that we found out he has escaped the penal colony and was back in English soil in the surrounding area. And the story kind of ends there. They don't really tell you like, did he escape this? Did this guy torment him forever? And what, is that, what did it all mean, really? Was it a con? A sorcery? A haunting of coincidences? Or is it something deeper, <laughs> beyond even the story of a poltergeist? Something alive and wild within the very nature of music? Something that maybe infected the blood of William Drury? Perhaps out on those bloody battlefields where he beat his drum, surrounded by the never-stopping march of death? and ever after would reach out against all those in his sphere of influence, a great hungry hollow that arises within us all, only to be filled by the pounding of the drum. Could that maybe be it? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the story of the devil drums. I like your, I like your phrase, a haunting of coincidence. <laughs> it, sounds like a, it sounds like a Parisian play I would have really enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> An act in three parts. <laughs> And so, for this one, the caring of the void moment is as follows. There will come a time when those in power will seek to silence you, to take the power that resides within you, a great and hungry ocean that is roaring to emerge into the world, and they'll snuff it out, try to tamp it down, to box it up, and add it to their own hoarded power. But you won't let that happen, will you? Listen deep to the music that pumps through your crimson veins. Hear the tune of hunger that beats in your heart, a melody so dark and true, and let it fill you. Turn the tables on those fuckers. Let no place be safe, nothing sacred. Let the music of your rising power haunt them, rob them of their sleep, turn their food to ash in their mouths, filling their every waking moment till they flee their places of power, their safe towers. And in that thundering silence, that moment of vacuum, that will be your moment. Fill it how you will. A wild and dangerous crescendo hunger and destruction. Or a simple hummed tune of contentment. The melody is yours to choose. Yours and yours alone. I like that a lot. Your descriptions of the, uh, of the haunting were, were really good. <laughs> yeah, the story was kind of dry and long. It just like went a lot into the text 
the tax guy stuff and um and this is like the thing about this story is kind of different from a lot of other stories is this one is highly documented with tons of like supposed credited people in court cases and magistrates all like signing off that this happened and everyone has great names yeah ledger's hall (laughs) so um what do you have this week uh so mine is uh is actually a a listener uh, request, and uh, this is perhaps a good time to point out, we have just the best goddamn listeners. One of our listeners uh, got a tattoo of your sign-off phrase uh, this last week, which... <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Boy, I just I just started crying. It was like, that's... What world do we live in that, that, that we're doing something that good? But, like, that's that's so cool to see your your words on on a person's flesh husk. Uh, and, and then uh, while you were in the hospital, but before I was in the hospital... A listener of ours uh, on Twitter at Savage Diana reached out with uh, to, to ask if we took requests, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll take your request as long as you, you know, let Jordan know that you hope he uh, survives and uh, sends some good vibes his way," uh, which she did. So, uh, uh, Savage Diana, uh, here is here's your request. Uh, the request was uh, in the tweet was that I cover the Black Forest. There's a gigantic Black Forest, which is a huge attraction in Germany. Uh, and it's got all these mine shafts, but also like all these different fortresses that were built in different centuries, but like don't really line up. And I was like, okay, well, we can't do another mine episode, but like, so where's the haunting? And I couldn't find the haunting and then found out the Black Forest is actually the name of a house uh, outside of Colorado Springs, right? So it's a region uh, which is super haunted. And I was like, okay, you know what? I spent like 30 minutes prepping for this German forest. Uh, so I, there's nothing there. I was like, I, I don't know. I can't find it. So uh, this is this is a story about the black. This is this is called the Black Forest Rainbow Vortex. Uh, so I called some family in, in Colorado Springs. I was like, have you heard of this Black Forest house? And they're like, we absolutely have. Uh, so in the 1990s, uh, there's this area outside of town called Black Forest. Um, and this family leased this home out there. that was on about five acres of, of land. No one around them. And nothing happened for the year that they leased it. And then they're like, you know what? We're going to buy it. So they bought it. And that's when uh, the trouble started. The guy that sold it to them was convinced that the house was haunted, but didn't say anything to them. Not because he didn't want to warn them, but because he was convinced they were just going to make fun of him a bunch. Uh, And in their description, uh, the mom says, one day we came home and it was like the 4th of July in our living room and bedroom. There were lights flashing throughout. People were stomping on the roof. And when we lay in bed at night, we could hear chains rattling. One night we woke up and heard orchestra music. Uh, strange things started happening every day. Uh, and so they, it's a family with two sons. Uh, there's lights. There, there's physical manifestations of this stuff just flying around their house. And they just keep trying to live there, which has always been one of my favorite parts of, uh, of uh, some of the uh, uh, exorcist-like uh, films uh, where uh, <laughs> you have a family that's in a haunted place. Uh, and they're just still trying to like do laundry or something. Uh, and you're like, boy, that's weird. Uh, that's, <laughs> I, I don't know why anybody does that. Uh, you gotta start that burn pile, man. Gotta start the burn pile. So, uh, they started hearing, uh, a bunch of sounds and then they set up it's, it's the nineties. So they had motion detectors, they had video surveillance stuff. Um, and over the next 40, the next, over the next four years, they had 62 unexplained break-ins uh, and the uh, the sheriff's department uh, opened an investigation in 93 in which they conducted 45 follow-ups 
but they couldn't catch any criminals. Uh, and the, the family, for some reason, despite seeing floating lights, just kept going, you know what, this is probably somebody doing some sort of prank on us, which is why they stuck around for so long. Uh, for years before, um, they finally were like, you know what, mid-90s, we start having some of those reality show ghost hunter things. Uh, so they brought it, they started bringing in some professional ghostbusters who, uh, start losing their minds. Uh, like one guy that comes in (laughs) in the first minute or so there is like, there's more than 20 spirits here and just fucking leaves. Uh, and then, uh, at one point they're talking to a psychic and, uh, while they were talking to her, uh, ghosts flew through her and she just collapsed, uh, on the ground. Like she, she wasn't like out but like she couldn't move her arms or legs for a long period of time until they, they ab- see and- these ghosts or the psychic just told them that the ghosts flew through her. The psychic told the psychic told them that the Ghostbuster guy was like the Ghostbuster that they pulled in actually had a TV show. Uh, and that one's much more entertaining to me because like they couldn't use the episode because he ran out too quickly. <laughs> like so like if he was faking it for attention, he he didn't he wasn't doing it right. Uh and then, uh, then they had a, a, a different uh, renowned psychic come in like six months later. His name's Peter James. And he's like, yeah, there's a lot going on here. Uh, and he was like, there's this weird odor. And then they started noticing that the odor was there. And he asked... Never good. Yeah, never good. Uh, <laughs> he, they, he asked him, like, what does the name Howard mean? Uh, and uh, they were like, so he was sort of our adopted grandfather. Uh, but, like, he's not somebody that's, like, affiliated with him anywhere in any way. Uh, that you could have like looked up, uh, and he was uh, a uh, a pharmacist in the '60s who would like give drugs out to kids uh, so that they could go get high. Uh, and uh, and his son uh, got super high uh, on in the area where he died, trying to create a rift in space time on their property uh, so that he could uh, make contact with his dead father, and he died uh, while like huffing shit so that was the smell that they were smelling from the dead son who tried to open the space time rift uh and they were just like okay that's no one knows about any of that so he was just dead in the backyard uh he it had been something like a decade or two previous oh so it was like a phantom odor yeah so yeah so the it's a spirit it's a spiritual smell spirit stank yes (laughs) stank spirit uh and uh, then they have this giant mirror in the upstairs bedroom. Of course that, they did. That everyone comes to, and, and there's photos of this online that you can see. Uh, it is referred to as a portal to the other side. It's a hundred-year-old <laughs> mirror, uh, and there's an endless uh, series of photographs uh, that have floating faces in them. Uh, so that's that's pretty fun to see. Uh, yeah, they're just like if this. You don't is- know that you're not supposed to go up to the the huge mirror that's called a portal to the other side. I, I, I no one, no one called it the portal to the other side until like they, they brought the psychics in, but yes, that was, <laughs> that should have been the giveaway. Uh, <laughs> so they even, uh, what's, what's interesting about this is that they started bringing in, uh, not just essentially like, uh, the, the cis white men of the paranormal world. They actually brought in like a Hopi shaman and other people from other, like religious backgrounds to see if they would get further. And the Hopi shaman uh, reported that the entire area is actually what uh, their people consider a rainbow vortex. Uh, and that uh, actually their people were uh, uh, so into it that they, they helped define those areas 
by their photographic results and that there are only two other areas, uh, one in London and one in Arizona that have these sort of photoreactive things happen where there are light forms that don't exist anywhere else in our world. Uh, and, uh, and the family has continued to live there. Uh, and this stuff goes on to this day. They report red, yellow, and white light forms can be seen apparitions of old women, a little girl, a burly man in 1800s clothing and a flying dog, but nothing like, like nothing malicious. Well, it seems like, I mean, there's, it's a fun light show. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that just seems like you got a house plus. So the, the thing that actually becomes malicious about this is that because from like 93 on, this is right outside of a major city and like uh, has gotten so much attention over the years that uh, people just love running up to the house to this point, seeing if they can catch a peek of a ghost or something. Uh, and the family still lives there, but they still have all those motion detectors set up and all these security cameras so, like, in, in, in forum comment posts for, like, haunting people, even last year, people were still reporting, like, I tried to run up to the house, but, like, the guy and his son ran out and chased me with weapons and stuff. And it was like, yeah, if, if every night you've got to deal with ghosts that keep you awake, and then the rest of the time there's just a bunch of fucking looky-loos on the property banging on your windows as well, uh, I can understand how at some point you're driven mad by the combination of the two. And hey, at least you can hit people, whereas you can't hit ghosts. They should have cashed in somehow. Should have, yeah, you know what? Sell the property or make it a make it an Airbnb. Make it like a, a ghost attraction. The best ghost hotel ever. Absolutely. Uh, so my carrying into the void on it is this. Uh, there aren't good people on both sides. There aren't even just two sides. There's an ever-expanding labyrinthian puzzle of perspectives kaleidoscoping off into the ether, and perhaps you can serve your purpose in bridging those gaps. Time and his illusion, uh, time and is an illusion, space-time doubly so, but where you are needed and help those who cannot help themselves, and then you can generally terrify everyone else, passing through the aura of those who stand in your way, and occasionally plucking the sides of their mortal coil, just to remind them of where they reverberate and how far down a single strumming can echo. Mirror their actions to reflect their image back into their eyes, and let your would-be bumps in the road become their own conduits for betterment in us all. And then move on to your next productive haunting, somewhere further down the infinite ladder. Cool. That was a good story. I like this. This was a good spooky day. Yeah, it was like both kind of haunties. Yeah. Do you have any self-care for the people at home this week? The only thing I've been doing is continuing to try to not let my own like neurotic nature overtake the things I'm supposed to do to recover. So... I've been like, I know, like, I'm at home, so of course my mind is like, you have to achieve so many things since you have all this time that you're staying at home. But I'm like, well, you also just had yourself cut open and your organs moved around, so maybe <laughs> if you feel like you need to sleep half the day, you should let yourself sleep half the day. So I've been doing that and trying to listen. My self-care has been trying to, like, let myself heal instead of trying to force productivity into healing. Huh. I like that. I, uh, I've, I've been doing something where I, I noticed that like, uh, we, we exist in a lot of very small circles on the internet of certain fandoms and things like that. And sometimes it becomes very easy when, uh, when there's somebody that, uh, not, isn't like a huge fuck ass, uh, but is like, uh, has a weird take on something or who has, you know, messed up something in the past or is trying to work on something it's it's pretty easy for some of these communities to just send somebody out to pasture and just give up on them. 
And I found myself uh, going a little overboard lately in uh, in just trying to blow up people uh, that I felt like had either done me wrong or had done wrong by some weird concept I had. Uh, and I think a lot of it was because I just don't, I don't I have no control over like what's happening in politics in the country right now or things like that. I was like, you know what I can take control of is, uh, is this one area where like a, a hundred people uh, know about this thing and uh, somebody's barely making a mistake and uh, it would be very easy to pile on and that can feel good. Uh, and so I'm just trying to take a step back from, from judgment for anyone that's done anything less than being a giant, terrible person. Like uh, anyone that expresses remorse for stuff in their past or is at least trying to learn things or apologize, but gets things wrong. I'm like, I've, I've spent too long just being real, real judgy about stuff like that. And anyone that's trying is worth uh, supporting in some level. So, or at the very least, uh, not adding fuel to something that prevents them from ever getting better. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't have to, to like support them in their endeavor, but you can also not dogpile them. You know. you know what? They can go out into the wasteland for a while, figure some things out, and the people that they want to ask to help them, they can help, and then they can come back, uh, and then we'll we'll see where it goes from there. I, there's there's no it, it's it's twofold that that no one needs me to come down on them for anything, and I don't need anyone to come down on on me because that doesn't help. But also, it just uh, it's burning through my my emotional fuel real quickly, and I was like, oh, I'm just being mad to like people I don't know that have no effect on my life, and. Uh, that's uh, that's not helping them, and that's not helping me. So, uh, it, in the midst of so many enemies in the world right now, and so many dark forces, uh, perhaps focus your energies elsewhere, or uh, or give yourself the breaks that you need. Uh, obviously, no no one on this show would ever say, um, you know, stop caring or uh, or walk away or something. But uh, you know, there's interpersonal stuff that we can do, and we can do better. And that's that's my thing this week. But what would Twitter do without all the hot takes? What would we warm ourselves on in the cold, cold void of space? What unholy fire would we hold our little hands over without <laughs> the hot takes? Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to us for yet another week. Um, you can find us on the Internet. Um, where can we find you, Brock? Uh, I'm at Brock Wilbur every place. Uh, Jordan, where can we find you? Um, I'm at Hottest Singles on Twitter and voidmerch.net for everything else. Um, thanks for listening, and it would, we really love it if when we are able to read your reviews, and it helps us a lot if you go and rate us on iTunes, because if not, we're just sinking into the void of Apple. <laughs> it's a very bright-colored void, but it is a void nonetheless. Yeah, it's shiny. All right, see y'all next week. Remember to keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and mini. Thank you guys so much. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>